Well, amen. Once again, happy Father's Day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This morning, we are going to be looking at the greatest battle in the Old Testament. This battle was not a battle between two armies. It was a battle between two men, between David and Goliath. Now, back in August, we walked through a sermon series that we called Game Changers. And one of the game changers we looked at was David. And we looked at this particular passage of Scripture. And I went into Bill's office this week, and I told Bill, I said, Hey, Bill, you know, um, we looked at this passage during um, our Game Changer sermon series, and I, I just said, you know, if we can sing the same songs over and over and over, then why can't I preach the same message? Um, and we're not, I'm not preaching the same message, but we are looking at the same passage of Scripture, because that's where we're at in our, in our David sermon series. And I thought, man, what better sermon to preach on Father's Day than the sermon about David and Goliath. And so I'm looking forward to this this morning. A young boy had just gotten his driver's permit, and he went to his father, who happened to be a minister, and said, Dad, can I borrow the family car? And his father looked at him, and he said, Son, I'll make a deal with you. If you get your grades up, if you study your Bible more, and you become a little bit more helpful around the house, then we'll talk about um, getting a car. But there's one other thing. Um, you need to get your hair cut. And so a month passes by, and, and the son comes back to his dad and says, Dad, hey, um, can we talk about me borrowing the car? And so the father pulls him aside into his study, and he said, Son, I'm real proud of you. I said, You've gotten your grades up. He said, You're... you're, you're, you're um, you're studying the Bible more. You're helping out more around the house. But son, there's a problem. You never got your hair cut. And the son thought for a second, and he said, he said, Dad, you're right. I didn't. But Samson had long hair. Noah had long hair. Moses had long hair. And Jesus even had long hair. And, and the dad looked at his son, yeah, and they walked everywhere they went. Oh, the wisdom and wit of a father. You know, over the past two weeks, we have been walking through our David sermon series together. And if you recall, so far what we've looked at is, um, is the nation of Israel demanded a king. They had God as their king, but God wasn't good enough for them. And so they told God, they told Samson that they wanted to look like all of the other nations of the world. And so they wanted a physical king to sit on the throne. And so they got that king. God granted them exactly what they wanted. They got a king. His name was King Saul. And we read about King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9. It says, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. The problem with Saul was this. Saul was a prideful man. He took his eyes off of God, and he did things his way. And as a result of that, he was punished, and, and, and he was told that, that his kingdom would not experience a succession, so his, his kingdom would not be passed down from generation to generation. And so what we find, found last week is Samuel went out and he anointed the next king of Israel, King David. He went to the home of Jesse, and there there was eight sons. And if you recall, um, each one of those sons passed before Samuel. 
And they get down to the last one, and Samuel turns to Jesse and says, is this all of your sons? And then Samuel, our, our, our Jesse said, no, there's one more son, but he's the youngest, meaning what? If you recall from last week, he's the most insignificant son. He's out tending to the sheep, and, and, and Samuel said, go get him. He brings him to him. He anoints him as the next king of Israel. And so that brings us this morning to this particular passage of Scripture where we're studying about David and Goliath. Every day, you and I face giants in this world. And I want you to know this morning that your giants are no match for our God. You agree with that? Your giants are no match for our God. It has already been declared in Scripture, and we're going to look at this passage this morning, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Before David had ever slayed Goliath, he told him that he was a dead man walking, basically. And we're going to see that this morning. So if you have your, um, your Bibles, once again... We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Our first point is this, Goliath's giant size. So verses 2 through 11, we read, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in, the line, in, in line a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. Then his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up for battle?' Am I not a Philistine, or are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then in verse 16, we read these words. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath would come out before the army of Israel and he would challenge every single man in Israel to a fight. And I'm going to tell you now, this was not a fair fight, okay? If you just looked at the man-to-man, Goliath was, was no ordinary man. He was a giant of a man, probably one of the tallest men to ever live on the face of this earth. Scripture tells us that he was nine foot nine in height. He probably weighed well over 500 pounds. His armor alone weighed between 175 and 200 pounds. His spearhead weighed between 20 and 25 pounds. And if that's not enough, going before him was an armor bearer. And in the Hebrew, we get this picture that the, that the shield that this armor bearer carried was as tall as a full-grown man. Okay, think about if you were a man in Israel and you overlooked this giant of a man. How many of you would volunteer to go take on this giant? Anybody? Man, I wouldn't. I, I know right away that I would be squished 
by that man. But we're going to look in just a minute at a man who wasn't an ordinary man, but was a chosen vessel of God that did accept that challenge. In verse 8, Goliath cries out, Am I not a Philistine? Translated from the Hebrew, it reads, Am I not the Philistine? Am I not the greatest man on the planet, basically, is what he's saying. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the Israelites saw this man come and challenge them. And when they saw him, they retreated back to their camp. They retreated to their tents, and they ran away. Think about the giants that you and I face on a daily basis. Okay, think about some of those giants that you face. There's the giant of resentment. There's the giant of fear. There's the giant of loneliness, guilt, and shame, worry, discouragement, jealousy, depression, hopelessness, bitterness, just to name a few. This week, um, I received in my email um, a, a, a poll that Dr. David Jeremiah was doing um, that he was talking about the giants that we face. And he wanted people to submit to this poll and identify their top giants that they face. And this is the outcome of that poll. 29% of the people said that fear was the biggest giant they face. 14% said loneliness was their biggest giant. 30% said worry was their biggest giant. 14% said temptation. 11% said anger. 3% said jealousy. What would you say is the greatest giant that you face? You know, some of those may be giants like this. Others of your giants may be more in the physical form. It may be a bully that, that you deal with. It may be a parent. It may be a spouse. It may be a coworker or someone that you go to school with. Here's what we know about those giants. They are bullies, and they are out to destroy us. Am I right? That's what bullies do. Man, bullies, bullies want to make less of us so that they can make more of themselves. But as we're going to see this morning, when we make much of God, he will make much of us, all right? Notice our second point this morning. It says, David's giant faith. In verses 12 through 15, we read these words. And David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the name of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Remember, David is the runt of the family. As we looked at last week and I shared a second ago, his dad called him the youngest, meaning that he was the most insignificant. He wasn't kingly material. He was the runt of the family. He was the one that had been delegated to take care of the sheep, okay? And so this keeper of the sheep, is summoned by his father, Jesse, to go and take some supplies to his brothers. And so Jesse, I mean, David, I'm sure that whenever he gets word that, hey, I get to go check on Israel's progress, I get to go see my brothers, I get to leave the sheep to somebody else to take care of, I'm sure that he was pretty excited about that. This boy got to go out and hang out with the men 
for, for a period of time. And so I'm sure that as he's coming up over that hill, he is just envisioning the Israelites just slaughtering the Philistines. Comes up over the hill, he encounters his brothers, and I'm sure that the first thing out of his mouth was, how many Philistines had you slayed? He probably thought to himself, how much land have we conquered? He probably even asked himself or asked them, how has God shown up on the battlefield? I can just envision that's what he's doing here. But while he is talking to them, Goliath makes one of his, 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 his daily um, 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 summons. And we read in verses 23 and 24 these words, As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, come, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Those words that David heard were not words that shocked him or caused him to run and flee like the rest of the Israelites. Now, what does David do? David wants to know who that uncircumcised Philistine is, who that unbeliever is that is challenging the greatest army on the face of the earth, the army of the living God to a battle. That's what David wants to know. I love what David does here. David brings God into the battle, doesn't he? No, God is the difference maker. God is always the difference maker when it comes to life's battles. When we turn to God and we fall up under his shadow and his strength, guess what? He will give us victory over any giant, any Goliath that we might face. All of us can either see our giants as bigger than God or we can see our God as being bigger than our giants. Max Lucado wrote, focus on giants and you stumble. Focus on God and your giants stumble. So David recognizes that no giant is bigger than God. How about you? Have you recognized that? Do you know that? Do you know that no giant that you face is bigger than your God? He inquires in 1 Samuel 17, 26, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And upon hearing of David's inquiry, Saul wanted a word with David. In verses 31 through 33, we read, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Saul takes one look at David, and, 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 and surely Saul recognized David as being the little boy who played music in his king's chamber. But he looks at him and he says, you are just a boy. There is no way that you're going to be able to take on that man that is challenging us to, to battle. But notice what David does. This five-foot nothing of a man lists all of his accomplishments. 
He lists the physical accomplishments that he had experienced as a shepherd boy. In verses 34 through 37, David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David had the physical qualifications to take on that giant because he had slayed both bears and lions, and, and no giant was a match whenever he went out under the strength of the Lord. And he made that abundantly clear to King Saul. Notice our next point, God's giant delivery. In verse 37, we read these words. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You know what King Saul had done? King Saul had abdicated his role as the king of Israel. He had abdicated his role as being a warrior. You know, King Saul was probably the greatest warrior that Israel had. And what did King Saul do? When he saw this giant, he ran and he hid. And what did his men do? They ran and they hid as well because we kind of have a tendency to follow our leaders, don't we? And if they fall back and retreat, guess what we do? We fall back and we retreat as well. As men, if we're not leading our homes and we fall back and we abdicate our role as being the leaders in our home, guess what is going to happen? Our family's not going to have a a leader in their home, and they're going to hide as well. Moms, if you abdicate your role as being the mother and the woman of your household, then what kind of model will our children have in their their home? You know, King Saul had abdicated his role, but David recognized that, that that giant was no match for the living God. David, probably the smallest man in Israel's camp that day, says, let me at him. You know, when was the last time you said, to one of the giants in your life, let me at him. Or the giant that somebody else was facing, you said, let me at him. Let me be used of God to help you defeat your giant. That's what we do as a church, isn't it? We come together and we walk beside one another so that we can help each other defeat the giants that we face on a daily basis. You know, when I think about David, I think about um, the, the challenges that he must have faced at such a young age. And I think about a young man by the name of Calvin Leon Graham from Canton, Texas. Some of you know who this man is. Calvin was the youngest soldier to fight during World War II. He would enlist in the Army or in the Navy on August the 15th, 1942, at the age of 12 years old. Okay? Think about that for just a moment. Ben, how old are you? 12 years old. So stand up, Ben. Let's make an example of you. Imagine Ben entering into the military today, okay? That is this Calvin guy. 
He enlisted, and, and of course, he lied about it. The, the, the gentleman that was doing his physical took one le- look at his teeth and said, you're 12 years old. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm 17 years old. And he said, no, you're 12. And this guy got tired of arguing with him, and so he gave up. And so Calvin was able to enter into the, the service. They shipped him off um, to San Diego where he completed boot camp. And soon after completing boot camp, he was assigned to the, to the USS South Dakota. And on the night of November the 14th, 1942, his ship was sustained significant damage from three enemies, enemy Japanese ships. It would receive 42 different um, um, missile attacks. Many of the men on that ship died. Calvin was significantly wounded. But during that night... He rescued man after man and tended to man after man to help them make it through that battle and to make it through that night. And as a result of his courage, he received the bronze star and the purple heart. He would soon be dishonorably discharged after that for lying about his age. And if you know this story, it would be after he was dead before he would have the Purple Heart reinstated. Um, He would get some of these other um, medals um, reinstated while he was alive. But this young man at the age of 12, you know what he did? He said, there's not a giant in this world that I'm not willing to fight. And this man went, this young boy went to war to fight for his country. How about you? Are your giants keeping you from fighting life's battles? Have you disqualified yourself because you said, hey, I'm too young or I'm too old to fight these giants? David, a man full of the Holy Spirit, would face his giant head on. He would not cower like King Saul did. He would not cower like his brothers did. He would not cower like the nation of Israel did. And we read here in verse 40, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And I'm sure that that whenever David approached that Philistine, there's no telling what was going through his mind. But, But I'm sure one thing wasn't. He wasn't fearful. And we'll see that in just a moment. But when Goliath took one look at David. He thought, finally, a man within Israel is willing to fight me. And he looks upon David and realizes what a runt he is. And he begins to curse David using all kinds of curse languages um, within his native tongue, I guess we are told. But, But here's what David does. In verse 45, he says, we read, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of, armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your hand, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Can you imagine what that Philistine thought? When he heard all of those words spoken, when he heard that that little run of a man was going to cut off his head, I'm sure he thought to himself, no, I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to dismember your body parts and they're going to be an example for all of Israel and all all of uh, the Philistines to see. Here's what David does. David doesn't invoke any name of any man. He doesn't bring King Saul's name up. He doesn't bring his brother's name up. He doesn't bring his daddy's name up. You know what he does? He invokes the name of the Lord God into the battle. David refers to God nine times in this passage compared to only two times for Goliath. We, should, we would experience much more victory if our God thoughts would outnumber our Goliath thoughts four to one. And Brian Bill said, this week, try to think about God four times as much as you think about your problems. Think about that. What would happen if you and I thought of more God thoughts than we did negative thoughts throughout our day? David would give credit where credit was due. In the end, we all know this was not a fair fight, was it? In one corner was a man standing nine foot nine, wearing about a 200 pounds worth of armor, weighing 500 pounds, carrying a sword with the head alone, weighing 20 to 25 pounds. And there was a full grown man that was walking before him carrying a shield. You would think that David would be outmatched that day. But what does David do? David goes into that fight with just a sling and five smooth stones. And we know who was the victor at the end of that day. The Lord went before David. And guess what? He'll go before us as well when we go into battle. There is no one that stands a chance against the Lord. Your giants do not stand a chance. That bully does not stand a chance. No one stands a chance when we invoke the name of the Lord. And when we allow the Lord to go before us into battle. If you remember when we walked through this sermon series in week one, before King Saul, Israel had King God as their leader. And and what did God promise the Israelites? That he would always go before them as a consuming fire into battle. But that wasn't good enough for them. So they wanted a king and they got King Saul. And what did King Saul do? Man, he was a weasel that stood back in his tent. But David, the next king of Israel, he went to battle wearing nothing but having in his hand a sling and five smooth stones. And notice um, our next point here, okay? Your giant or your giants, and I want you on your, on your um, sermon guide to fill in the blank there. Okay, what are some of the giants that you face on a daily basis? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it a health issue that you are dealing with? Is it um, worry? Is it a temptation? Is it jealousy? What are some of the giants that you face? Just write that down right there inside of that blank. And it could be a financial giant. 
It could be, um, you know, a, a, a physical giant. I don't know what your giants are, but indicate that on that blank as a reminder to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 48 through 54, we, we read of this great battle. Short battle, but a great battle. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him, cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. I love how this story ends. The giant is defeated. But what does David do? Okay, this is kind of morbid, but David cuts off the Philistine's head, and he carries it back to Jerusalem as a trophy. Okay, I... I guess you had to live there during that time. I guess that's what they did, okay? Um, But notice what else he did. He took the armor from the Philistine, and we know that David also had his sword. And he takes those things, and he puts them in his tent. Why did he do that? You know, I think he did it as a reminder of of, of the victory that God had given him in the nation of Israel on that battlefield that day. If God could use him to defeat a nine foot nine giant, he could use him to defeat any physical, spiritual, or emotional giant that he would face throughout the course of his life. You know, I think that you and I need to keep remnants of the victories that we experience in our life. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you can identify the battles that you have lost over the course of your life? Think to yourself, how many of you can think about all of the battles or many of the battles that you have lost over the course of your life? I know I can. Man, there's, there's a bunch, right? There's a bunch of battles that I've lost, okay? Now ask yourself this question. How many of you can identify the victories that you have experienced throughout your life? Raise your hand. Okay, I think we all have experienced some victories. How many of you could identify more losses than victories? Why is that? Why can we identify sometimes more of our losses than we can our victories? You know, I think one of the reasons for that is because we don't take any treasures away from God's victories that he has given us. There's nothing that we take with us as a reminder about how God used this situation or used us to defeat this particular giant. But a lot of times we can remember our, our, our failures. We can remember our losses because they seem to leave behind a scar, don't they? But the victories, they don't leave behind scars, do they? So sometimes we need 
physical um, things that we take away from those victories, trophies that we take away from those victories. And we need to place those into our tents or into our trophy rooms, into the recesses of our mind, and remember how God used us to defeat that giant on that particular day and on that particular battlefield. That's what David did. David would carry that with him everywhere he went as a reminder of how God gave him victory. And we need to do the same thing. We need to carry with us those reminders of how God gave us victory over our giants. You know, in in Chuck Swindoll's book, David, there was four takeaways that he kind of emphasized. um, And he shared this, facing giants is an intimidating experience. I think all of us would agree with that. You know, when that giant rears his ugly head, sometimes it can be intimidating because a lot of times that giant rises above us and we look up to that giant because we're cowards sometimes to it. So giants can be intimidating. Doing battle is also a lonely experience because a lot of times those giants that we face, we keep those giants to ourselves, don't we? When, when we're dealing with a particular temptation or we're dealing with fear or anxiety or a health issue, sometimes we keep that bottled up to ourselves. And, and facing those giants can be lonely. That's why I said earlier we need to work together and conquer those giants together. Trusting God is a stabilizing experience. When we turn to God and ask Him to help us to defeat those giants, God will do that very thing. And winning victories is a memorable experience. And that's why we need to keep track of those lions and those bears and those Goliaths that God has given us the ability to conquer and to overcome. You know, think back on some of those giants that you're facing right now or those giants that you have faced, that giant of fear of loneliness, of worry, of temptation, of anger, of guilt, of shame, that health giant. Think about those things, okay? And then forget about them. Give them over to the Lord. Because what, what did we read just a moment ago in, in, verse, in verse 47? For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. The battle is the Lord's. The Lord has already given us victory over our giants, those little giants and those big giants. When we turn to the Lord and ask him to give us strength, he will give us the strength that we need to conquer those giants and those Goliaths. Remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. Every single day we face giants. Every single day we do. But when we give those giants over to the Lord, we can be certain that the Lord will give us the victory we need. You may think to yourself this morning, man, some of these giants are just too big for me to handle. And yeah, I know that God promises me that if I give them over to him, he'll give me victory over them. You may think, well, I don't really know how to give my giants over to the Lord. Well, I want you to know as a church, we're here to help you. We're here to help you overcome the giants that you face. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. You may be here and there's a particular giant that you're facing. You don't know how to hand that giant over to the Lord. Let me help you with that. I'll be here in the front. I'd love to share with you more. After the service, uh, I'll be in the prayer room. I'd love to share with you more. You may be here this morning and, and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You don't know if you'd spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I'll be here this morning. I'd love to share with you how you can know for certain where you're going to spend eternity. You may be here this morning as well, and, and 
man, you just need some prayer. You need somebody to pray for you, or you may need to come to this altar and kneel down and pray. I don't know what decision you need to make, but in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, I want you to come and, and respond as the Lord is leading you. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to turn to your word and to look at, at, at this story of, of David and Goliath. This is a story that all of us have grown up with. We've read this story dozens of times. We've probably heard this message preached dozens of times. And so, Father, um, my prayer, Lord Jesus, is that you will have spoken to all of us this morning and that you have revealed to all of us in this morning how we need to respond to the giants that we encounter on a daily basis. So often, Lord, we try to fight our giants on our own. The reason King Saul and the rest of the men of Israel didn't go up against that giant was because if they had, they would have been going up on, under their own strength and under their own power because they were not leaning upon you and turning to you. They were scared and they were afraid. And Father, when we try to do this life independently of you, those giants seem overwhelming to us. But when we call upon you and when we ask you to go before us as a consuming fire, your word promises us that that the battle belongs to you. That means that giant will fall before you and we can be victorious over it. So, Father, help us as we go throughout this life, Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, to overcome those giants with you as our guide and as our strength and as our, as, our, as our God and our leader. Father, this morning, there may be someone here that does not have a relationship with you, and I pray this morning that you'll draw them unto salvation. Father, there may be someone here this morning, Lord, that they're just facing a giant that they don't know how to conquer on their own. They don't know how to even call upon you to, to give them victory over their giant. So, Father, I pray this morning that you will help them to respond in, in a way that, that they can learn how to overcome their giants. Father, there may be some here that's been visiting this church a while and you're leading them to become members of this church. I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. Just move now during this time. First, in Jesus' name we pray.